Section 6 of A Battle of the Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. A Battle of the Books by Gail Hamilton. Chapter 6 A Truce then for a time other events absorbed me and the whole matter faded out of sight and thought afterward to save the trouble of repeated explanations i determined to arrange the tragedy in compact shape and let such of my friends as cared to know learn it from the original documents accordingly on the twenty seventh or twenty eighth of may I wrote to Mr. Hunt. Will you be so good as to permit me to take copies of those letters that I have sent you, which resulted in breaking the connection between us? I have not my papers by me, and cannot give you the exact dates of the letters I want, but the first was sent on or about the last of December, the next, etc., 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 if you desire it, I will return the letters to you, or, if you prefer that they should not go out of your hands, and will say when and where I can see them, I shall be happy to suit your convenience. Mr. Hunt did not reply to this letter directly, but sought an interview with Mr. Dane. Mr. Dane to M. N. Mr. Hunt has been at my office an hour, talking of you, etc. He at first said you had written him for copies of your letters, that he is taking account of stock and could not possibly have them copied at present, and wished, if I were writing you, that I would say so. I said, why not enclose the letters to M. N., and ask her to return them if you want them? He said he would. He seems worried about the matter, and said, If I could only know what M. N. wants, I would do anything to satisfy her. I said, I have done all I could to prevent a final breach between you. From all I could learn, I thought M. N. had not received what she was entitled to. Everybody to whom we referred expressed this opinion. Nobody suggested that less than ten per cent was right, and you allow her six and two-thirds, and seven and one-half. Her conclusion was inevitable, that you had not done right, etc. He replied with various abstractions as to how authors forgot the various expenses, etc., I told him you felt hurt that he did not notice your letters, asking explanation. He said he wrote you to come and see him, and he would have gone to you had you suggested it. I said what I should have done was to see you and explain the matter, and not allow it to rest so for weeks, as if it were a matter of indifference, etc. Finally I told him what I advised you, to wait for their next account, and see whether they would not, 
now that high prices have to some extent passed by, allow a further percentage, and that I suggested to you to write them, or allow me to, saying that it was hoped they might make their future accounts more satisfactory. He made no reply. I mentioned that you really felt that the Adriatic was your proper avenue to the public, and had a paper now that you hardly knew what to do with. He said, all she has to do is send it along. Well, all this talk came to nothing. The only fact that it all modifies my view is that A, B, and the rest seem to be treated the same, and that is a surprise to me and takes off in a measure the C of taking advantage of female weakness. Ahem. M. N. To Mr. Dane, June the 1st. Your letter came Saturday, but my letters have not yet appeared from Mr. Hunt. His talk to you looks like subterfuge. I never suggested his getting the letters copied, but send them to me, and I would return them, or tell me where and when I should see them, and I would wait his convenience. Again, what have I to do with the expenses of publishers? I am not complaining that he pays small per cent, but that he, in the first place, pays less than other publishers, and secondly, pays me less than he pays other authors, and is thereby guilty of a breach of faith. On the same day, May 29th, the firm of Brummel and Hunt addressed a letter to Mr. Dane, saying, We have occasion to print several volumes of M. N.'s writings, which under ordinary circumstances we should proceed to do at once. Before doing so, however, in the present posture of affairs, we have an offer to make to M. N. The dissatisfaction which she feels and is constantly expressing toward us as her publishers, would probably lead her to prefer that her books should be in other hands. We are willing to sell the stereotyped plates and manufactured stock of her books at a reasonable price to any publisher with whom she may choose to arrange for their future publication. An early answer would be acceptable as in the event of our retaining the books, we wish to proceed with the manufacture. Mr. Dane to M. N., June the 1st, 1768. The breezes from B. and H. are very fluctuating. The same day in which Mr. H. came and had the long talk, which I reported to you, the firm seemed to have written the enclosed, which I did not get till this morning. If you don't do anything for a month, nothing in particular will happen. Still, you want the books in the market, and perhaps somebody will take them off B&H's hands and do as well. I am somewhat inclined to say to them that we will take all the stereotype plates and all the books on hand of them, at the appraisal of fair men, and the same men shall adjust all claims for the past copyrights. 
I am surprised at this blunt note after Mr. H.'s amiable conversation. If we are going to have a settlement, let us open the past and make them refer the whole thing. Let them give up everything and adjust the balance as fair men shall say is right. But the note of the firm did not suggest any settlement of past claims, and therefore presented but a lame and impotent conclusion to the matter. What I wanted was indemnity for the past, not security for the future. If a man cheats me once, says the proverb, it is a shame to him. If he cheats me twice, it is a shame to me. The information that I was feeling and constantly expressing dissatisfaction might perhaps be classified among the locals as startling if true. What I felt must have been entirely a matter of inference, as it was long since I had expressed either satisfaction or dissatisfaction. I had been concerned in other matters. My note to Mr. Hunt contained no emotional expressions whatever. But as I had had my full share of sentimentalizing, it was no more than fair that Misters B and H should have their turn at it. Their course seemed to be mere child's play, and not the play of good children either, which must serve as excuse for the following reply sent to Mr. Dane. Your letter came this morning. Misters Brummel and Hunt have improved even on Mr. Brummel. His felicitous original idea was only that I was impelled by a desire to have recourse to the parvenu hawkers and peddlers of books. The combined wisdom of the firm seems to point to my becoming a parvenu hawker and peddler myself. Their fine instinct has doubtless divined my long-cherished dream of setting up a bookstall beside the orange woman in the neighboring corner of the common. Footnote. A common is a tract of ground which belongs not to individuals, but to the public. Probably the bookstore referred to was on the outskirts of the city, and the common was the land as yet unappropriated by builders, and on which, doubtless, sheep and cows grazed undisturbed. Note by Editor and footnote. Pray present my compliments to Messrs. Brummel and Hunt, and say to them with many thanks that as this new career could hardly be said to open brilliantly with an array of obsolete and obsolescent volumes, I do not propose to enter upon it until some new work appears, when I shall crave their blessing, not their books." Do not be at the trouble of transmitting this message. Send the letter down bodily, and let it whistle itself. On Monday, the 1st of June, one of my friends, Reverend Mr. Hayes, having gone to Mr. Hunt with the olive branch in his hand, but without my knowledge, and been completely won over by his amiable bearing, came to me and begged me, 
if only out of regard to himself, to have an interview with Mr. Hunt. I had been familiar for several years with Mr. Hunt's gifts and graces, and knew that, though they were charming for social intercourse, they were not easily reducible to two and a half, still less to three and one-third percent. But, as Mr. Hayes begged me by his friendship, as regarding Mr. Hunt, everything which I had cared to save was lost, and as I wanted my letters, which, though promised, did not come, I consented, so far as to give Mr. Hayes permission to say to Mr. Hunt that if he chose to come to my house to bring my letters, I would be at home on Thursday, the 4th of June. M. N. To Mr. Dane. Mr. Hunt is coming down on Thursday to bring me my letters. I think it a foolish and useless, as it is a most disagreeable thing. Foolish simply because useless. But I have agreed to it so far as to say that I should be at home. The talk will amount to nothing because I cannot talk. He will have it all his own way, because it is a subject on which he is informed and I am not. And then, talk is never tangible. I want something that you can keep hold of. But at any rate, I shall get my letters. It is impossible to refer it to arbitrators, because the worst part of my trouble was not of such sort as could come before them. I will never permit the matter to go before arbitrators unless it comes to be a case of honor. That is, I will not do it for the sake of what money I might get. M. N. To Mr. Dane Mr. Hunt came down on Thursday as I expected. He was in some sort my guest, and we met amicably and parted friendlily. The most important development of his visit was that he says he did, in the early stages of the affair, send me just such a letter as I told him he should have sent, a letter written, as he says, by his own hand, because he would not have his clerk mixed up in it, written with great pain, and the only letter he has written since his hand has been so lame except one to Dickens. Footnote. The Dickens is an exclamation of playful surprise. Probably the word as here used is a corruption of this phrase and was merely a strong way of expressing on Mr. Hunt's part that he had written no other letter at all. But after so great a lapse of time, it is impossible to get at the exact truth. Note by editor and footnote. In this he assured me that it was all right, that he had the figures to show me so notwithstanding appearances, and begged me to let him come to Zoar and do so. This, without any other explanation, would have quite satisfied me in the beginning, but this letter I never received. Of course, however, I receive his assertion that such a letter was written, and I make the best use I can of it. 
he assured me in the most solemn manner that he has done by me as he has done by a b and the others and that he has always done what he thought the best thing and most to my advantage now when a man tells me that i can have nothing more to say to him h has a greater percentage because his books have never been printed but once and that when work was cheaper and so they pay him at the old prices but i will go into particulars more fully when i see you i suppose it is pretty much the same as you have heard yourself he had admitted that he did not wonder at my course seeing i had not received his letter yet seemed to think i should have had more confidence in him had always supposed i should stand by him though the heavens fell the heavens did not fall though i sometimes think a part of the sky is not there i told him that i had no intention to meddle with the past agreed that they should go on with their books as if nothing had happened and desired him whatever course i might take in the future to believe me not unfriendly toward himself but that the developments of this trouble had made it impossible for me at once to resume my old place but i don't think he minded that now you see we are at peace i do not deceive myself it is not a very rapturous sort of peace the relations between us are but a thin meagre unsubstantial substitute for those that formerly existed but they are better than war and they are truer than the old ones and truth is better than falsehood however agreeable the falsehood be i do not mean that on either side there was any intentional falsehood but that there was a sort of glamour which is now removed now if any one ever speaks to you of this say as i shall that there was a misunderstanding but that it is removed i hope that you will not disapprove of what i have done or perhaps rather of what i have not done for my action has been chiefly a negative i have simply let things be in form which i have always meant to do in substance he assures me that it is all right and i cannot stand up and dispute his word mr hunt during this interview insisted that at the time he made the change from ten per cent to fifteen cents he had a long talk with me and fully explained the reason i insisted that he had never done so i admitted that he had announced that he was going to make the change on account of the fluctuations in the prices of things and the consequent uncertainties it was all i wanted and more if he had said nothing i should have been just as well satisfied i had so much faith in him a positive assurance generally carries it over a negative still if a man asserted that he had offered himself to a girl her negative assertion that he never had would of itself be entitled to as much credence as his positive one supposing the character of both to be equal 
If the man were in the habit of offering himself to girls, while the girl had never had another lover, her negative would surely outweigh his positive. Mr. Hunt had dealings with many authors. He was my only publisher, and he was more likely to be mistaken in this than I. He might have intended to make the explanation, or might have made it to someone else, but an explanation made to me, it is next to impossible I should have forgotten. Really, the matter was not of importance, because if he made it then, it would have answered every purpose. If I could have been made to see at one time that seven and a half equals ten, I could have been made to see it at another. Here the controversy seemed to have come to a natural and pacific conclusion, and I began to take up the burden of life again, saying only it might have been different perhaps, but then it might not. I cannot affirm that I was entirely satisfied about the missing letters. Letters never are lost in our climate. We often wish they would be. There are dozens in this correspondence, nothing in whose life would have become them like it leaving it. But they all went straight as an arrow to the mark, and now, like Burns's Sonsi, smirking, dear bought Bess, they stare their daddy in the face, enough of aught ye like but grace. On the 24th of February, Mr. Hunt seemed first to have awakened to the fact that there was any cloud in the sky, and begged me in all kindness to tell him the ground of my sudden dissatisfaction. Of course, the missing letter could not have been written before that time. After I replied to him, alleging the grounds of my sudden dissatisfaction, he replied by calling on Mr. Dane as Mr. Dane's letter to me shows. I was not only unable to find any place where Mr. Hunt's explanatory letter might have been missing, but I could not find a place where it could have come in. But I let that pass. There seemed to be nothing more to do, and if there had been, I was too tired to do it. I thought the affair, like David's destructions, had come to a perpetual end, which, if not absolutely satisfactory, was at least relatively so. There are very few kinds of peace which are not better than war. I was not sure I had done the wisest thing, and as I wrote to Mr. Dane in review of it, to speak the truth in love, I don't much care, that is, the whole affair had become so utterly tiresome to me that I long ago grew indifferent to it. How the business part of it should be settled, I little cared. What I really had at stake is lost. End of section six.